how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 435, where I sat down with Ali Sadiq, the comedian known for The Domino Effect and The Domino Effect 2, among many other specials. In this interview, he talks about getting his start at an open mic in Houston on Apollo night, getting booed the first time for wearing a suit, how that kind of changed him as a comic. And his latest special, though, the New York Times writes about The Domino Effect Part 2, Loss, a revelation of a performer. He adopts a different approach. Instead of self-aware jokes, he leans into stories that are easy to get lost in, especially with his magnetic delivery. In this interview, we talk about early influences, how he found his style as a storyteller, finding confidence, energy on stage, testing stories in the barbershop, how he remains so prolific, and the best he advice the best advice he ever got from D.L. Ugly. If it's your first time here, make sure to subscribe. You can also get my first book, Ink by the Barrel, based on this podcast over at BrockSwenson.com. That's the book and audiobook. Um, I started this place called um, Just Joking Comedy Cafe um, in Houston. Um, open mic night on Apollo night, um, 1997, December 1997. Um, got booed. Um, first time, um, <laughs> I, I didn't even say nothing. But uh, hey, how y'all doing? And they start booing from that because I had on a suit. You know, you you learn you learn <laughs> you learn about observation skills very fast in a in a college crowd with a suit on on Apollo night on the open mic. <laughs> and so um, I got booed. I came back two weeks later, same space. Um, jeans on, t-shirt, a little more relaxed. And then I was the host of that spot for a year and a half after uh, a month after that. So that's how I actually got started. Were there comics you looked up to that wore suits? Like what made you kind of go that route first? That's all I had saw was comics and suits. It was no, it wasn't a lot of these leisure comics like now. Every, everybody had on a suit from Rodney Dangerfield to D.L. Hughley. It was all suits. Yeah. I never even thought comics could go on stage without a suit on. It's like, like what? How you on stage without a suit? So I thought that was the uniform. Hmm. What do you think kind of changed? Not to kind of go off on a tangent. It's just like, when did it get more casual? When that some of that was the atmosphere you were in, but I think um, when either Ricky Gervais or uh, Louis C.K. or one of them, one of them guys or use uh, Def Jam. I think maybe let's go back to probably Def Jam when when guys were coming on with just a little more relaxed clothing and not everybody didn't have on a suit. Martin, I think it started with Martin. When probably when Martin did his special with the leather with the leather baseball thing on, because even with Eddie Murphy, you still thought was well, that's that's still a leather suit. It's still a, <laughs> <laughs> still a leather suit. Who did you kind of look up to back then? Like, who were some of the comics you were hoping to maybe emulate uh, or follow after? Actually, it was nobody I wanted to emulate. I just actually wanted to be 
funny, like the people who I watched, you know, Don Rickles, Carol Burnett, you know, these, you, these are your first people, Rodney Dangerfield. Then you listen. I didn't know what Richard Pryor even looked like besides the album. I had never seen what he dressed like besides the album. Um, Cosby, Pryor. Then I found out about Dick Gregory. Mm. And that was a turning point to just find out somebody who could talk like that. And it wasn't based upon joke after joke. It was like he's talking about things that he wanted to talk about. And then you get into the Lenny Bruce's and the Phyllis Dillas and on uh, the mom, maybe, you know, all the greats. And then you get to your era where you start watching Def Jam and you think like, oh, yo, these guys are bananas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your, your, your early Chappelle, your mm-hmm. Mike Epps, you know, and then the, the guys who, when I started, I looked up to a lot of the guys from Houston because that's who I was looking at. You know, mm-hmm. Dez White, Billy D. Washington, um, Dave Lawson. You know, you looking at these guys because that's who you're around. These are funny guys, man. Um, Thomas Miles, Keir Spates, um, Marcus D. Wiley. You you look at these guys because they in your proximity. So you have the greats and then you have the legends and then you have the people that's in your location that you just thought were, you know, Arnaz J was was, you know, you just wanted to match that energy. You know, I knew I wasn't trying to be on SJ, but that energy, you know, and then that confidence that Bruce Bruce has and, you know, then that explosiveness of earthquake and the savviness of DL. You just kind of looking at people and you you taking the things that you that you admire about them. You're like, man, maybe one day I could be that smooth or that calculated or like Dez used to stand in one spot and I'm like, man, that's a lot of confidence just to stand there for 30, 40 minutes, just microphone. He never even take would take the microphone out the stand. He just stand there and talk, drink his drink, and just in one spot, like not a step this way, not a step that way, not a step forward. Like, like the confidence of it. And Paul Mooney, you would see him sit on the stool, and it would just be amazing. Like, man. If you could get to that level and match that energy, you know, I'm thinking I'd be all right. If I can get somewhere in the vicinity. <laughs> I've interviewed a handful of comedians, stand-up comedians. A lot of them have said, like, you kind of start out mimicking other people until you kind of find your own voice. Like, what what were you doing at first? When did you start to see some success as, like, more of a storyteller? Um, I think I've always told stories. I was just a lot more physical with the act outs of the stories. I didn't, I didn't have anybody to mimic cause I didn't know what I wanted to be yet. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So that's why it was so many different. Oh, you, you, you kind of piecemealing to it together. Like, Hey, this, this guy here is, he just stands there. Maybe I, maybe I, I get to that development later. I knew what, it, what, what I started with wasn't going to be the end result, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it's like, girl, I knew I used to do this joke about getting body slammed. And because I'm a former break dancer, I would do this move called a suicide. Where you flip up, you lay on your back on the ground, and then you do another little hip hop move. But I would do the move and then I'd just be on the ground talking. I would flip with the mic <laughs> and be on the ground. I'd be on the ground talking like, oh, my God, somebody cut the lights out. Um, But and then because the whole joke was if you get body slammed, you lost the fight. Both your feet was off the ground. It don't matter what happens. 
after that, you still lost. You know, it's like, hey, man, I knocked him out of that. But he body slammed you. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do that for 10 years, 15 <laughs> years, 20 years. Yeah. And then it's, it's just, you just know that, man, it's, I'm starting here, but I'm going to finish somewhere else. And I'm like, well, and then I hurt my back. Hmm. And then I said, I, I got to start being able to tell these stories a little different without as much physical movement and just being able to captivate people in the stories. And it kind of started in the barbershop. I would go to the barbershop and most of my development wasn't on a comedy stage. It was in just real atmosphere. So I would be in the barbershop telling stories and people would get their hair cut 20 minutes tops, get your hair cut. And then they, I look around, they, they still in the barbershop. You're like, man, I thought you been gone. No, man, I'm listening to this story. <laughs> and then people got questions. Like, man, so that's, hold up. Before you say, what happened? You know, so you end up in the barbershop two hours, two and a half hours just doing stories about things. And, and I said, well, man, this is probably more longevity in doing it like this. You know, it's, 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 ver- it's like, I played a lot of sports growing up. I would probably basketball looked cool and football was very physical. But in my mind, I was like, I'm probably gonna settle on baseball. Seems a little, <laughs> seems seems like the longevity is a little bit more. You mm-hmm. know, I could I could eat sunflower seeds and sit in the outfield. You know, hopefully a ball will come out here. But other than that, I'm cool. <laughs> so that's 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 probably how I settled in. So that probably, I mean, I imagine the the time in the barbershop kind of got some of the fear out of the way. I mean, you still got, you know, booed the first time, but you kind of felt like you were coming with stuff that it's been tested a little bit. Is that, is that kind of how you saw it? Like test it out there, take it up stage to the stage? No, actually, the barbershop was the testing ground. Like for every, every new story, it starts in the barbershop and then it goes to the stage. And the way I do material now, if I'm telling a story, or if I'm building, I'm building a special. I'm gonna probably weave a story in and out until I can close with it. Mm. Once I can close, once I can close with it, then I'm like, okay, that's 15 minutes of the special, um, or that that's 30 minutes of the special because I I gotta you know I I build them to close. So it's no way for me to know that I was gonna get to that level when I first started early on, but the confidence of just sitting in a story and delivering the story like it's it's like a free throw man it it, it looks easy you've done it a thousand times but now the crowd's in here and you're like oh, this is a little different <laughs> it's a little different now that people are in here so just being able to sit in that silence and i think that's what i mastered first being able to sit in silence because you know most comics they wanted they want somebody laughing every three seconds, but I think it took me to to master silence first before I became a good storyteller. I feel like the audience is maybe more open to moving slow as slow as you want to take them, as long as there's some jokes coming, right? Do you see how do you think about that last 15 minutes? Is it just like a slow, steady rise to like the big finish? Is it like a roller up and down? How do you, or does it, or is it just like a variety of those things? It's a variety of them. 
you know, in my mind, I'm if I, I think like this, like I end shows like this now when because I do an hour, hour 30, and people think I'm gonna leave with a big finish. Hmm. And I'm like, well, are y'all waiting on something else? Because in my mind, I'm in my mind I'm thinking, if you haven't laughed in an hour and 30 minutes, it, it has nothing to do with me. Your heart is black. You have a black soul. Like, because <laughs> you know nobody starts working harder at the end of the day. Like, nobody's at, at 450, like, oh, let me really get these papers filed now. Like, no, I'm, I'm winding down. I've made all the points I want to make. And I want to leave pleasant, but I think my job is done after an hour and thirty. <laughs> after an hour and thirty, so I'm wrapping up the message most mm. of the time. Most of the time, it's the message at the end of what everything was actually about. Are there any stories that you took to the barbershop that you thought were funny, but maybe they didn't work, or they weren't long enough, or like any reason they didn't make it to stage? No, mostly everything makes it to the stage because I I do a different show almost every night. It's a different it's a different hour, so it's a combination of the things that happen to me in the course of my day versus things that have already happened. And I'm 49 at this point, so it's like I have a 12 year old son that I haven't said most things about. Or my 29-year-old son, I haven't said most things about. You know, I have a lot of kids to draw from. I have a lot of family members to draw from. Like, it's it's stories that I've told in the barbershop that I have not told on stage yet, and they frustrated about it. they like, say, man, when you are going to say this? Like, so just think. Um, I did Comedy Central. I did this show called This Is Not Happening. I did a, a, a story called The Prison Ride that affectionately is known as Mexican Got On Boots, right? People had heard me tell that story in the barbershop for 10 years. Mm. I didn't, I started in 1997, really 98, because December, then it turned to 98. I probably had been telling that story since 99, because it was something that came up in the conversation. Then I then I told the whole story in the barbershop in 99. I told it in the bodega in 2000. I had been telling it in multiple, you know, places to just friends and i didn't never i didn't put it on stage until I, this is not happening in 2014 mm. so even with domino effect 2 right now all of those stories are things that that my close friends and my my family know and have heard but to put it together in in that way and tell all the stories I've been living, that's a story from when I was 16 years old. You know, it, see, Domino Effect 2 starts at 16 to 19. So these stories have been told, these stories have been lived, and now it's because I I, I actually had a, a message to go with it about Lost is when it starts to formulate. I think most comics draw from the past and then, not, not, let me not say that. That's a lie. Most comics don't draw from me. <laughs> so, some people, I don't, I don't dabble in the current a lot mm -hmm. because it's open for everybody. Mm. You know, uh, it's, it's a thing about, oh, this guy's stealing my material. Or this guy's doing my joke. But you're doing a joke about the president. 
Yeah. You do know he's everyone's president, right? Like everybody knows that he's old. Everybody knows that like like what part of this is you think that's your material that was re- that I'm reporting from CNN, sir? I'm getting this off of CNN. Has nothing, <laughs> has nothing. So, but with your with your life, you have to be able to dabble around in your life and bring things to to canvas to paint this picture because that's what Eddie Murphy did in Raw. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what Richard Pryor did in JoJo Dancer and Live from Sunset Strip. You know, that's what that's what Rodney Dangerfield did with, you know, no respect. You know, they went into their life and they went and got that gem out of their life that people gravitated towards um, to make to to flourish their careers. You kind of talked about like having a deep well with like family and friends and past stories. It seems like the last 15 years, though, other than like George Carlin, most people kind of got together an hour like across a lifetime. Do you feel like it's just like the work ethic is like required today with Louis C.K. and all them's like doing like one every year or every two years or so? Nah, I, I was, I think it's just the work ethic of how people want to, because I'm, because one thing is I have at least 14 albums, right? Only seven of them are out. Hmm. It's two that I, I recorded during the pandemic and they perfect. I just haven't put them out yet. Domino Effect, I mean, Bigger Than These Balls came out. Then I did a, a, a different hour for Epics and then an hour and 20 minutes for Domino Effect, hour and 30 minutes for Domino Effect 2, plus getting ready for Domino Effect 3 and Domino Effect 4. I think that it's just I'm not finished with the story. I'm not done saying, but even with the 14 albums, only seven of them came out, two in the can, the rest of them just, they they didn't meet the cut. Mm-hmm. Now I may have to go back and listen to the material again and listen to the premises again and redo it. But I don't put out things just to put them out. I put them out because they are ready. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people, a lot of times people are putting things out now that, they can, I, in my personal opinion, in my love for the craft and my love for laughing and comedy, we getting shortchanged in some places. Mm. You know, I, I'm not going to do, and, and, they, and people can never expect this from me, I'm not going to do an hour of crowd work. <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not knocking the people who are doing it, but that's just cheap. You know what I'm saying? To me, with an hour of crowd work, 30 minutes of crowd work and I put it out and say that that's uh, special. I don't know if people are doing that, but I know that's what they doing on a, on a, every, every clip now of a comic is, is crowd work, but it's not material. And, and I think because maybe because they can't turn over the material, they can't write that fast, but I don't want to, I don't want to cheapen people with the experience with me. You know, and everybody else can do whatever they doing, which is which is beautiful, but not with 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 me. And I, and I hate the fact that sometimes audiences come to shows, and they and they don't want you to be who you actually are. They want you to be what they already like, mm. and you don't get it. You don't get the opportunity to be who you are. Hey, I, I sit down. Why are you why are you sitting down? And I can always tell, like this person has never seen me a day in his life, like. You came off of you came off of I don't know you know why you here 
because it's not like you see me somewhere standing up. And most of the time I'm sitting, I'm 90% of the time I'm sitting down. Even even on TV, I'm sitting down. So you like, okay, this is one of them people. And then you got people who want to come see their favorite internet person. Yeah. You know, or you or you got people who want to think that, oh, I'm helping you out by saying something. No, you actually slowing me down mm. by by you I'm you putting me in a different position than what because I can actually I'm Magic Johnson. I can do it all. I can go fast, I can push back, I, I can do all of it, but that's not what I want to do. Mm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I wanna I wanna call for the ball in the paint. You know what I'm <laughs> and then, <laughs> so so that's the that's you know, I think audiences sometimes get caught up in what's happening now and still don't give the artist, any artist, time to just be who they are. And mm-hmm. so that's a that that that's where the growth with the younger comics are being stagnated. Because you you have now you see if you don't see crowd clips, you see I'm a show a video. And then I'm a comment on that video, and then that makes me a comment. You like, okay. <laughs> so you do you do know when you get on stage, it's not gonna be the videos. The videos are not gonna be there, right? Yeah. So I I, I think it's so many layers and so many different levels to it now. I just wanna just cultivate the the lane that I'm in. I, I would rather be mentioned in that Carlin and in, in that in that era right there about with storytellers because people are remember you there's so many creatives too focused on social whatever social media website but not like the craft itself do you kind of like you you said kind of holding material until it's ready even though there is maybe an hour's worth or more is that all self-regulated you base that on the crowd you or is it just like is, is it just like an intangible it's not done yet it, it it's it's a personal thing when it's not when it's done i i know when it's done and when it, if it's not done that people can tell me a thousand times man you need to tell that story it's not done and just like with um and then it's, it's one of the things where you have to feel comfortable in your skin the the the, the challenge with me a lot of times is if i want to tell a story or if i have the energy to tell that story or Oh, let me see. Do I want to go this deep in this particular story or the the act outs? You know, I, I I do all this in my head while I'm on stage to see where I'm going. And, it, and then it depends on if I just saw something. If, if I just saw something and I want to talk about it, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to put in some other things. But I think for the most part, I'm a pretty already a pretty jovial person. And they people just want the perspective or they want the angle of what I'm talking. If it happens to be funny, then cool. But it, it's a blessing for people to come to see you just to hear what you got to say, not just because it's funny. Funny, funny helps though. Tell me about like coming up with the names of some of your specials. Like where does the domino effect come from? Domino effect came from me. Um the first special we get because we we wanted to do something totally different than bigger than these bars, and we I started going through from ten to fifteen. I said, "Man," and I remember saying this. I think I think my life really changed 
when I moved in with my father. It was like a domino effect. And like it's just one step out of another. And and then just in random conversation. And with domino effect two lost, this was very calculated because I knew I was gonna get ready to talk about 16 and 19. And when I thought about it, 16 and 19, I was like, I took a lot of L's. I took a lot of losses at that time. And it was, it just came. It was organic. It's like, man, I'm gonna call this one domino effect two loss. And then we spelled it both ways. Hmm. SS and S and ST. And the ST came when the director, Eric Abrams, said, Hey, it's a lot of losses in the, in this in this thing. I was trying to count them. Do you do you realize that you lost yourself as well? Mm. And I was like, pretty much. And so we had to spell it both ways because we wanted to cover both of the instances of the word loss. You losing something and you losing yourself in the in the aspect of losing something because you wasn't prepared for that loss. You you didn't even talk about it. And like in the beginning of the special on two, I say in my neighborhood and where I'm from, people only talk about the wins. Mm-hmm. They never they never never talk about their losses. And even I, I don't even think that in sports people go back to when we when we lost that year. I don't I don't think Buffalo brings up the four Super Bowls that they lost. They're like, man. We got the division championships. <laughs> but then, like, what happened after that? Man, we don't we don't talk about that, man. We just, we just because <laughs> they went the Vikings, you know, I, and I think it's a thing that we should always give an understanding of that we're gonna lose things. We're gonna lose games, we're gonna lose girls, we're gonna lose people, we're gonna lose items. And it's all about how you bounce back after that. That's what makes Muhammad Ali the greatest world champion of all times because he suffered defeat and he was over he was able to overcome defeat not just once but three times Mm -hmm. he's been the four he's a four-time heavyweight world champion and and in that he took losses and overcame them and i think in in normal just everyday life we should instill that in our children. We should we should remember that. We should recall that when we going through things that this is this is a chance. This is an opportunity to overcome. Mm-hmm. You know, to see what you actually made of in this particular instance. Hmm. One thing you maybe have like helping you find the comedy that is the time. You know, the time between when you were young and lost, and then where you are today. If you if younger comics are asking you how they can, like, they're scared of being more personable, like personal on stage. What what do you tell them? And it, it's going to come. Is is Eventually, you're going to get comfortable within yourself. And, and I just tell them the same stuff that I was told. D.L. Hughley gave me a gem that was, that without measure, it had to be one of the, the best things ever told to me. He, we was on the road and he told me, he said, Ali, the funniest you're going to ever be in life is going to be based on how honest you want to be. Mm-hmm. And 
I took that and understood that, hey, man, you're going to have to be yourself and you're going to have to dig deep into yourself and the things that you may not think funny, people are going to find them hysterical because of the relatability. Because somebody, if they didn't have this instant, they had this instant that's adjacent to that and you're going to bring that memory back up in their head. So I, I, I said something the other day. I was in... I had to be Orlando. I was in Orlando and I was talking about people past a certain age won't jump off of something that's a particular height. And this guy came on the stage for the meet and greet. He was like, man, me and my wife was back there laughing so hard because you, I jumped off of a chair and tore my whole knee and everything up. And I said, never again. And said, I was 45 when I did it too. And you said, people over 45 would never jump off of nothing this high. You know what I'm saying? Because we already know our foot going to hit the ground, our leg going to do something weird, and then our kneecap going to come off. And <laughs> he was like, man, we was in the back dying because that's exactly what happened to me. And I, I, I think the experience of me experiencing things and knowing things, I think that I relate to just normal life with, with people. What's going to happen? I, I remember looking, this is when I knew I was, I had gotten older when I, I climbed up my fence. I got locked out of the house. I climbed up a fence. My fence is like seven foot around my house. I climbed up there and I looked over and I saw how far I was going to have to jump down. And I was like, no, nah, I'm cool. I just went and sat in front of the house and waited for everybody to go. I was like, no, nah, I'm cool. But I already knew what was going to happen. I was going to jump down and I was going to tear my knees up and my dog was just going to lick me in the face. He wasn't even going to go for help or nothing. I was going to die right there. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.